Hey everyone and welcome to the Supply Chain Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today and whilst you're here don't forget to follow us to stay up to date with our weekly podcast featuring leaders in the supply chain. On this week's episode we are talking to Patrick Dunn, Director of Property, Procurement and Cost Transformation at Sainsbury's. For any of our listeners outside the UK, Sainsbury's is the UK's second largest grocery business with over 1,500 stores selling food, clothing, electricals and more. It is part of Sainsbury's Group, which also owns Sainsbury's Bank, Argos and the furniture retailer Habitat. So this is a really exciting podcast because Patrick was the SIPS Procurement Leader of the Year in 2019. His team was also Procurement Team of the Year and in 2020 they also collected the Procurement Leaders Procurement Team of the Year. Patrick was also featured as number one CPO in our top 10 CPOs in the January edition of Supply Chain Digital Magazine. So be sure to check that out as well. Right, after all of that, hello Patrick, how are you doing today? Hi Emily, yeah, I'm very good. It's Wednesday, middle of the week. You know, it's downhill from here. It's a really dull Wednesday here in the UK, so hopefully this can be a bit more exciting than the weather. So I'm kind of wondering, to jump straight into things, if you could explain your responsibilities as the CPO of Sainsbury's. Yeah, well, I'm, the, as you said, I, I work for Sainsbury's in the UK. Um, I'm the group's property director. So all of the stores, I acquire them, build them, um, close them, fit them out, etc., etc., um, pay the rent. Um, I'm also the group's CPO, uh, Chief Procurement Officer. We, we, we spend about three over £3 billion pound a year keeping the business going, really. So I buy everything bar the food on the shelf, to keep it simple. Everything from transport, logistics, marketing, etc., etc. Um, and then thirdly, I look after the group's transformation activities around the cost base. So um, what I call procurement-led chains. But, you know, we have an ambition in Sainsbury's too to transform constantly transform and so for my sins I've got the opportunity to to help lead our thinking on that amazing and I always love to know how people got into the supply chain and especially in procurement and we haven't covered this on the podcast yet so I'm wondering kind of what was your educational background and jobs prior to this yeah I I was um I, I grew up in a little town called Sturban in Northern Ireland, which in the Troubles was a bit a pretty difficult place. Lovely place, but, you know, it was, it was jobs weren't easy to come by. And so um, we had a small family business and um, my father was in the construction roofing contractor. And I always worked alongside him. And then around about 14, 15, I, I saw how he was, you know, acquiring materials and stuff. And so I thought I could help out there. And so I got a bit, a bit of taste for doing deals around buying bulk materials and negotiating discounts. Um, and really he just started looking up about procurement and identified, you know, this could be a career really. Um, I went off to university and tried to find a course to do that, which was very hard in the 80s, I have to say. It was... Um, and there was only a few courses in the UK that did procurement and supply chain. And um, yeah, I went to the University of Ulster in Jordanstown and did a degree in a postgraduate degree in purchasing and supply chain management. So uh, 19, 1990, I graduated. Uh, Amazing. And what about um, jobs prior to this one? Um, I've worked well. I had a, a great career coming out of out of university. It was at the time when the Japanese automotive companies landed in the UK in the mid-80s. And so procurement and supply chain, you know, J- Japanese approach to it. And I studied that at university, actually. Um, and I got a lot of good job offers, much to my surprise. 
I had a lot of debt to coming out of university. And so uh, I was very relieved to get it. But I, I started initially um, with Nissan and I spent 10 years at Nissan, um, mainly out of Sunderland, Barcelona, Amsterdam. Um, and then I joined um, MFI into retailing, which is a furniture company in the UK, no longer exists, but it was the the IKEA of its day. Um, and I had a great career there. Um, we transformed it. I ended up spending three or four years in, in Hong Kong, setting up some of their operations there. Um, lived out of Hong Kong, worked a lot in southern China for, for as I say, three or four years. Um, and then we sort of restructured that business and created a, an amazing business called Howden Joinery which is a kitchen furniture business to the trade in the UK. Very successful business, so look it up if you, if you don't know who they are. But it's the biggest kitchen company most people have never heard of. Um, and then um, I had an amazing 10 years with um, Boots, with Inti Boots, working for Stefano Pacino, uh, a great entrepreneur who was acquiring lots of businesses around the world. And I traveled the world with him. Ended up in Chicago um, after 10 years, spent the last three, three or four years of my career working out of Chicago. Um, global property procurement director there, you know, 15,000 stores worldwide um, from Mexico to Chile to Thailand, uh, quite an extensive footprint. Um, and got a little bit tired and needed to come back to the UK, really. And um, and I was lucky enough at the time I was coming back that Sainsbury's wanted to talk to me and I joined Sainsbury's in 2000 and... What year are we in now? Yeah, the years go back. Uh, 21. So, yeah, 2017, October 2017. I, I think what's really interesting is um, picking up where you said you kind of um, went to China and Hong Kong for a bit. Is this something that is essential when kind of studying and thinking about the supply chain and procurement because they're, you know, the distributors of the world? Yeah, well, in the... 90s particularly you know far east sourcing was was taking off of course you had the japanese automotive companies coming into europe um which you know opened up into the sort of global sourcing global procurement and then for different industries retailing particularly furniture etc you know china um was seen as the manufacturer of the world and so I think most people in, in, in their you know, last 20, 25 years will have spent, had some experience sourcing out of, um, it was less about China, it was more about emerging markets. So there was lots of markets coming up, whether it be Vietnam, Cambodia, China, before that was Taiwan, etc. And so, but emerging markets in the Far East, I had a lot of uh, experience in, in traveling and um, from a very early age, I was um, a sort of platinum member for life with KLM um, traveling. You know, I, I, there was a time for about four or five years I was on an airplane two or three times a day, um, flying out of England and through Amsterdam to Italy to Germany, etc. as part of automotive, and then long haul out to Asia, to the east. Um, yeah, it was exciting times. It's, um, you know, people always ask me, what's changed in the supply chain uh, over those years? And you know, I, I tell people that in 1994, Nissan had its first computers in Sunderland, its first laptops. And it was only in 1995 we had our first mobile phones. So we did everything by fax machine. But what it also meant is you were always physically on the ground in, in your supply chain. You were always in factories. You were always traveling um, because there was no other medium to, to help you achieve, you know, what you had to do. And so you got to learn a lot about how manufacturing processes work, you know, a lot about relationships with your your supply partners. 
And so while you know, in the last 10 or 20 years, technology has helped enable people to you know, move faster and quicker and become more efficient in one regard, I always say to my team, my buyers, that you need to be in your supply chain. You need to get out there. You do need to travel. You do need to see how things are made and, and so forth. It's too easy to sit behind a screen and do deals on, on computer. Um, so, yeah, a lot of change in that time and some of it for the better, of course. You know, the carbon footprint of, of the modern procurement person is much lower. However, I still think you lose out if you don't get, get out into your, your supply chains and into your, you know, your manufacturing base. As we know, over the last 12 months, this virtual way of working, you can contact a lot of people very efficiently. But it's hard to beat a cup of a cup of tea in a Chinese factory made in a Chinese way, you know, sitting on the floor. Um, and uh, yeah, I miss some of yeah, that. Yeah, and that's something I actually want to touch on a bit later um, is kind of the impact of COVID, especially, in you know, on, on leadership and teams. But for now, I'm kind of curious, um, what kind of keeps you on your toes? What What keeps you passionate about procurement? I mean, especially the supply chain as of lately has been very topical. Um I can imagine it, it only kind of fuels this passion. So what, what keeps you interested? Yeah, over the years, different things, you know, and I, almost every decade as you mature, different things float your boat. No, in, in, in my 20s, it was all about the results and driving change. Um, in, in, the th- in my 30s and 40s, all about transforming. Um, but I think more so in, in, in the latter years, what keeps me on my toes, and there's a lot, I have to say, you know, the pandemic, of course, hasn't helped anyone. But, um, you know, constantly innovating, always trying to find ways to add value. Uh, I think that's, you know, at the heart of any procurement organization. But me particularly, it, it, it really drives me finding new ways to do things, you know. The environment is very high up on, on the agenda more recently over the last five to ten years for me in my career. Um, and while sustainability has always been something that supply chains talked about, I think the carbon agenda particularly is more more uh, prevalent. And I think procurement's role in that is is one where you can grasp it today and really make it something that procurement can stand out from the crowd and, and, and lead for. Um, and then f- finally, I think, you know, for me, People keep you on your toes, um, you know, always looking out for great people, always trying to get the best out of your existing team and keeping it fresh, really. And and so I think as a leader of any team, you have to try and, you know, keep keep your team on their toes as well and, and make it exciting and a, and a great place to work. And and as you said earlier, you know, we've picked up a couple of team awards, you know, prestigious team awards over the years. So we must be doing something right in, in and around Sainsbury's, you know, that not just one but but two team awards over two years um as, yeah definitely and um yeah congratulations on that of course um i kind of want to ask now so what are the challenges that you and your team are facing um currently i obviously expect this has changed now than what it was last year because i can't believe it's nearly been a year that we've had this pandemic in the uk so you know what are you currently facing yeah you know the pandemic is, is, is a very difficult time for everybody. But I think how, how different companies have, have weathered the storm has, has been testament to how good their supply chains were in the first place. And, and I'm, I'm proud to say that the Sainsbury's, the grocery industry, um, with all the additional capacity that they've had to handle in you know, supermarkets being the only place you could buy food. Um, and I think we've confidently been able to show the UK that the grocery sector has great supply chains and, you know, 
in all of that increased demand, we haven't really run out of anything, you know, and that's testament to the agility in the supply chain. And I think that's what keeps you on your toes as well. And, you know, things that my team are always on, always focused on is the risk factor of your supply chain, working with your, your supply chain partners to manage day to day issues to keep, keep, keep things going. Um, um, I, as I said earlier, the environment is something that's, that's a challenge and making sure that it's not just talked about, that we're taking actions in our sourcing and commercial processes that are making decisions, uh, sourcing decisions that are putting the environment further up that agenda. Um, and I think that's something for us. And of course, bringing the innovation I talked about earlier, constantly trying to keep Sainsbury's at the top of its game, you know, and as I say, we spend an awful lot of money um, that's one regard, bringing value for money, but also bringing new ideas, new fresh thinking into our supermarkets and our stores. Um, so there, there's an awful lot, um, you know, I could go on for a long time about the things that the team are busy on. But um, yeah, the pandemic has helped focus the mind on the risk on the supply chain. But we have been lucky that we've, we've got great, great supply chain, very agile. Um, and the final thing I'd say is safety, keeping colleagues and customers safe in stores has been one, but also the well-being of colleagues as well. You know, um, it has been a year now, which, you know, for some it's been a long year, for others maybe not so long. Um, but a year of lack of physical interaction in the workplace will start to pay, have, have its toll on, on people. And I think we, we spend a lot of time on the well-being of colleagues as well and talking to each other, you know, having a bit of fun yeah, as well. Yeah, definitely. Actually. I mean, we do like quizzes here at BizClick, you know, we have calls all the time because otherwise you will go a bit crazy. So I kind of want to ask, um, what are you doing to overcome these these kind of challenges with you know this physical? We don't we can't get physical. How how are you dealing with being digital and you know keeping the well being of your your team as a leader? Um, you know, on top of their game. Well, I I say to my leadership team, you know, two two things to keep it simple. One is we do, we're doing a lot more talking with each other um, and a lot more listening. And we're not just listening to the words that people are talking, we're listening out, listening out for issues that people are having because when you're, when you're in the physical um, workplace, you can pick up on, on the, um, the vibe of, of an individual that they're not having a good time or whatever, and you can explore it a little bit more delicately. It's much harder virtually, and so you have to try harder to, to pick up on those signs that people are maybe struggling more than others. Um, but as I say, listening, talking more, um, being respectful of boundaries as well, you know, but you, little signs you pick out when somebody's not turning their camera on a, a lot, you know, you sort of, you start to make you think you haven't seen that person for a long time. Or maybe you set up a one-to-one with them. Um, um, and that's just not myself. That's my entire leadership team looking out for each other. Um, and, and I think you said it earlier, the fun part we, we do over-index a lot on the fun, you know. There's no point having a quiz on a Monday morning when you can't have a glass of wine, whereas more on a Friday evening, Definitely. everybody can um, can partake, partake. And so we've invested in a few little um, software things that help us run, you know, quizzes pretty pretty efficiently. Um, um, Kahoot, I don't know yeah. if you've heard of Kahoot. It's maybe a brand. It's, yeah, we that's that really school, good, actually. Good. I um, always find that was fun. <laughs> yeah. So, but fun listening, talking, and yeah, we look forward to getting back together in whatever guise. I don't think it'll ever be the same as it was pre-pandemic, but um, we will be working differently in the physical environment as well. But people are looking forward to that. Oh, definitely, yeah. Workplace culture is like extremely important 
now and I think it will be. Um, I kind of want to touch on um, what makes a successful team in your opinion? Obviously, you guys have won some awards as, you know, aforementioned. What makes you guys so efficient and work well together? Um, personalities. And you no, know, there's different cultures, different companies. Some people hire people based on their academic achievements. I think in procurement within Sainsbury's, we very much hire on personalities. Um, people with diverse personalities, of course. You no, know, there's not one one model, but um, people with a can-do type attitude. People who are always looking to the future. Um, you know, I, I won't wax lyrical about what what the theory of a successful team is, but we quickly weed out individuals who are self-centered and they're focused on their own individual to the detriment of the team. Um, and so very much it is a team game and hence, you know, winning team awards. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, you do need um, a, a clear strategy for that team, you know, a clear, maybe less of the word strategy, but more a clear purpose. And, and, and keeping the team well connected to how their actions and, and results is driving that purpose. Um, so, yeah, we, we're just very, we keep it simple as well. Um, you know, um, have fun, work hard. You know, the, the, the sort of phrases that sometimes we, we, we get lost in, in jargon, but it is, is you know, work hard, keep it simple, results focused and, um, and have a bit of fun Definitely. along the way. Um, and so how do you think you kind of, you and your team handled the pandemic and obviously now looking at it um hopefully coming to an end vaccines in the UK being distributed quite quite efficiently what would you do differently if there was one thing uh, what would you say you'd like to do differently it's always a difficult question this mm. type of reflective question because you know to say that i wouldn't do anything differently could sound very arrogant um but you no know, looking back at the time i think our first three months was very, very um, intense. Um, we became very efficient at Sainsbury's is a very young culture and our technology platform are, are very good. So we were able to very quickly adapt to remote working. Um, I personally recruited a team and set the team up that you could join Sainsbury's procurement by working anywhere in the country. Historically, it used to be London-based procurement organization. It's now you can work anywhere in the country. So I have offices uh, and stores, of course. And so people were always in a remote working type of mentality, physically come together. Um, but they were used to being you know, on their own when they needed to be. Um, but yeah, it's the challenge is, you know, what would I have done differently? I don't think we would have done an awful lot, if I'm being honest. Um, we... we some of the positives, we opened ourselves up to different industries and we, we reached out for help in certain things pretty quickly. We knew we had to make our supermarkets much safer for colleagues and customers. And so, you know, projects that would take two or three months, we were doing in two or three weeks. Installing 20,000, 30,000 um, Perspex screens on a, on a vast scale, you know, across in record time. But we tapped into other industries um, as well as the traditional grocery ones. And so... Um, probably if there was one reflection you know we could probably see the pandemic coming when we talked about it in China in December and we could see it in Italy and you know I, I just wonder and reflect did we take it serious not as an economy take it as serious as we should have done early enough and prepare um, but that's probably for a later a later stage on reflection um, yeah long-winded way of saying I don't think we would do much differently and I think we've learned an awful lot 
that's for sure and and we'll put that to good use and we've learned um where we're not at our best and we, 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 we've been great virtually, but we do need a little bit more physical interaction. So we'll design our future operating model to be um, not five days a week in the office, but, but clearly coming together. And we've learned how to have a lot more fun together as well, actually. We were a fun team before and we're actually, we, we probably know, everybody knows each other better now because of this experience than they did even when we were all in the office, you know? Um, yeah, and yeah. I kind of, um think it's interesting because obviously you've been in this business supply chain procurement for a number of years and um, what advice <laughs> quite quite a, quite a number Emily actually oh, I'm coming up to 30 30 yeah. years actually so you um, have all soon. the experience in your back pocket basically um what would you what kind of what kind of advice would you give to somebody who has maybe just started out and unfortunately did just start out within the pandemic um Pandemic or no pandemic, of course, they've started virtually. And so, as I said earlier, I think they get the chance to virtually meet a lot more people quickly and fast because it's, you know, we are more accessible in the virtual world, but um, but they're missing out on the physical interaction, particularly in their vendor base with their supply partners, you know, getting into factories, seeing how things get made. So so make sure you catch back on that when, when the you know, time allows um, and it's safe to do so. Um, I... I you know, if you're starting out on your career, make sure that you navigate across all the different categories within procurement. Don't don't become too specialist in one because what I say to people is if you're thinking about a career, think about procurement because you will learn more about business as quicker than any other functional role, whether you, you know, lots of great roles in marketing and finance, but if you come into procurement, you can access all of those areas. Um, over a two or three or four year period and, and get to know how business truly works. And then later you can pick up on a different career if you if you so wish. Um, so yeah, come into procurement, travel all the categories, you know, 12, 18 months, rotate around, make sure you get a lot of experiences and just constantly be curious and constantly you know, look to bring value. Um, and don't get too hung up on what what it means to use an individual you know just learn suck it all up like a sponge don't be worrying about your next promotion or your next pay rise you know these are big turnoffs for me for when you see young people so obsessed about progression in that regard just you know, the progression will come naturally once you uh, have, have absorbed all that experience and learning and, and and the rest will come come naturally um and enjoy it as well, you know, because um, it is a learning time Definitely. for you in your career. Um, and kind of, I was, I'm curious to ask, I see obviously on your LinkedIn quite a bit, um, you either uploading or kind of being tagged in um, new Sainsbury's stores that have launched um, recently um, within the pandemic. I'm kind of wondering um, how was this all made possible and was there any challenges you had to overcome with these? Yeah, um, of course, we did close down our development program. You know, our development program is about a three hundred million pound a year uh, investment by Sainsbury's. And it's, you know, we build supermarkets, we build convenience stores, Argos stores, etc. Um, and, and the diversity of those programs, you know, there's a lot of people in my property division and my procurement teams that, that support us and, and the contractor base. I would be probably guesstimating, but you're probably talking quite, you know, three to 5,000 people tied up, particularly around the vendor base. So a lot of people rely on that investment to, for the jobs. We did stop for a period of time um, 
government guidance, no restricted it. But then as it opened up, social distancing in a construction site, two things it, it, that happened. It takes a little bit longer to do the work and a little bit more costly, but it's still um, economically worthwhile to get those things going because um, forget the economics of opening a new shop. It gives confidence to your business and your colleagues seeing new stores opening and investment in the business. Um, and yes, it keeps lots of people busy and people in jobs and employment and so forth. But I think it's that, that the one thing that I reflect on is the, the reason I post so often in LinkedIn or Yammer internally is to show what is 160,000 of my colleagues that the business is still investing for the future. And while today is a bit dark under pandemic and, and COVID, we're still got a bright future ahead. And that's why it was critical for us to keep the development program going. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been tough. And, and a lot of people, you know, too many to thank on, on here, but a lot of people and hard work has, has, has got it back on track, you know. And we will deliver, give or take, everything we set out to for this year that we set out the year before, you know, in a, in a business plan. So that's been yeah. good. And um, just from an outsider perspective, I think the pictures of the stores, they just, they look really nice. Like they look like, like such lovely stores. Um, I think what you've done, I mean, in design wise, whoever was in charge of that is awesome. Um, kind of, it looks really spacious. I'm wondering, is that anything that kind of the pandemic had an impact on or if that's just the future for it really? No, I think that is the future of you know, the way people like to shop. Um, you know, people of choice. Um, and of course, I, I can lay down a new store in the right location where I think people want one. But generally, the competition are there as well. And so you ha it has to be, you know, visually pleasing to the eye. You know, forget the offer of in the store. And I think we bring a great offer in Sainsbury's. Particularly, you know, I've just opened some new convenience stores. We open you know, one or two every 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 week or so. But um. You know, Hackney, we just opened one the other day. And I, th two days before the opening, we must have had at least 30 people knock on the door, you know, congratulating us for coming to Hackney. So people actually want uh, a new shopping experience in their locality, in their community. There's a role for big supermarkets. There's a role for getting your groceries delivered. But there's also a role for convenience shopping. And I think we have to, we have to cater for all of that. Um, of course, technology plays a huge role inside the shop as well you can shop multiple ways now you know from cash through debit credit card you can self-check out yourself you can you know have, have it picked up by Deliveroo and, and deliver to your to your home um, and that's the modern way now you know making it convenient for everybody in whatever way they want and it's, it, it visually looks good as well but I wouldn't mistake that it, it looks visually good in, in modern designs but it is designed in a way to be environmentally friendly. It is designed using materials that are, you know, lower cost, etc. Um, and I think that's something we're quite proud of at Sainsbury is that every store has a lot of thought going into it around how we make it better, improve, innovate more uh, in the technologies we put in to make it easier, but also um, environmentally friendly. Yeah, well. and um, also from personal experience, I've just started using the scan and shop um app and going around to do my own little scanning thing which feels like um you know it does feel like a lot safer for me I kind of enjoy doing that and also it's um I, I want to ask actually is it a way to kind of combat um the vast kind of development of like e-commerce and like the online shopping is that kind of a way to combat it or is it just another way to shop to to kind of satisfy customers well gross, grocery online has been around for well, 
20 years or so. Um, I think the pandemic and, and the safety concerns of people has people isolating. It's been a, it's been a lifeline for a lot of people. Now we, we have more than doubled our capacity uh, at, at huge expense um, to set up you know, across the country. I think we're at over 800,000 deliveries and collections a week now. But it wasn't just because we could sell more. It was actually, you know, people isolated needed the service. They couldn't come out of their house to feel safe. I think because, and, and likewise, you know, our Argos business, um, some of the essential items like, you no know, gym equipment and so forth, the stores were closed, remember, but yet we were able to utilize our logistics fleet to do fast track delivery. Um, and I think that served a great purpose in the pandemic and still does. But what it's actually educated a lot of people to is how many ways you can shop and how convenient it can be. So I think the future very much is about convenience. In the future very much is about um, e-com. Um, the physical store has a huge role to play. You know, don't get me wrong. Um, but you can shop any way you want now. And I think that's the, the bit. And then most retailers are now investing to give you choice. Um, as you say, scan and go. I can use my mobile phone to go into Sainsbury's and just um, go around and scan my own items. Talk to no one, speak to no one go to a QR code, scan that, and then just tap on my, my card and walk out. Or I can go with a full trolley and go to a belted till and speak to one of my colleagues and they can you know, help me put, 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 put the groceries through the till. So there's so many ways you can do it. Um, I think the pandemic will, will just has accelerated e-com for sure. And it has taught a lot of people Actually, it's quite convenient and quite easy. And, and I think there's probably no going back to that, um, you know, to pre-pandemic levels, you know. Yeah, definitely. Um, and um, something I kind of just wanted to end on, really, is um, is there anything else you kind of wanted to add? Any advice maybe to um, people who are starting up their career? I know we kind of spoke about it earlier, but any advice you'd like to pass down um, just from your, your experience, really? Um, oh. normally advice, yeah, is, is you not know, tailored to the individual if you know them, but, um, I, I, I just look at my own career and the advice that people give me, you know, um, and my natural personality, which is, you know, keep it real, keep it authentic, um, be yourself. Don't be something that you're not, um, be curious, um, constantly look to challenge the status quo. Now, that's a dangerous one because if you challenge it in the wrong way, it could be detrimental. But if you're challenging the status quo in a positive way and, and everybody understands that, then that, that'll get you noticed and you're adding value to your business. Um, but finally, I would say, you know, remember that results and achievements are only are only you only get them by working with people. And so, you know, just be mindful that it's the people around you that can help you be successful rather than you as an individual. Um, and many people only get to find that out in the later part of their career. So the one piece of advice is focus on people from day one and those people and uh, will help you be successful and you can help them be successful. And, and I think that will be a very positive thing mm -hmm. in your career going yeah, forward. Yeah, and that's amazing. Um, I would just like to say, kind of to wrap this up, thank you so much for talking to me say Patrick. Um, I think I just got a bit carried away asking those questions. I hope that was okay. Um, but it's just it's really fascinating and um, proud to speak to you so I'd like to yeah thank you so much not a problem thanks for your time Emily